When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Uh, Sam's with me today, and we've also got a special guest by the name of Mike Caulfield. Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, thanks for having me on. Absolutely no problem. Um, and for the people who don't know who you are, do you mind sort of explaining yourself very briefly for us? Yeah, okay, so briefly, um, I was an F1 race strategist for 12 years, plus over a span of 16 years. Um, yeah, and now I'm still working in the sport, but not quite on the front line anymore. So I was taking a little bit of a step back, but still doing quite a bit in terms of strategy analysis and and, and that sort of thing. And um, what about the teams that you've worked for? You've you've worked for Mercedes, Haas as well? Yes. Yeah, Mercedes, Haas. Um, first role was with Honda, um, which obviously became Mercedes. So, um, yeah, so they're, they're the three um, main ones. So how did you get into... Um, th- th- this world of uh, being at the top of your game of F1, getting into obviously being a race strategist. It's not your your average career route. I mean, everyone's a race strategist, right? We all point at the TV and say, oh, you should have pitted then. What, what, are, what are these guys doing? But obviously there's a lot more to it and you can't just go in as, you know, me or Sam. Yeah, so I mean, it, to be fair, I, I mean, you, you make that fair point. It wasn't ever something I kind of looked at and went, oh, that's what I want to do. It never really crossed my mind. Um, I went to university and did engineering. Um, so I was doing aeronautical engineering, but at that point, um, it was covering a broad basis of things. So even when I started university, it wasn't kind of my case of, oh, I want to go and work in F1. It was a, an opportunity came up that um, Honda at the time were offering student placements, so year-long placements. Um, and I applied and I was lucky enough to get, I think at that point, I mean, they've grown massively over the time, but this is back in 2006. I was lucky to be one of six people who got got a job there, which which I was there for a year. Um, I mean, the majority of that job role was with in the vehicle dynamics group. So just basically learning the trade, really, just kind of looking at simulations, looking at all the kind of ins and outs of um, F1 back then. Um, but at that point as well in the sport, strategy was still a fairly new um, process. So I think you'd have been lucky. I think each team had a strategist, but that would have been it. There was no such thing as you kind of 
strategy groups, which you have now where you've essentially got some teams which have got four or five or even six people working on them. At that point, it was you'd have one strategist and then someone like myself who was, I got the opportunity to help out. So I did a couple of days a week um, doing a bit of support and then over races, again, doing that little bit of bit of support, just just a bit, bit of data analysis, really, just kind of processing it. Again, back then, the tools were very basic. So it was a lot of it was kind of processing what do we want to see? How do we want to see it? Um, the timing wasn't as comprehensive as it, as it is now. So I was, I guess I was a little bit lucky at the point where I got into the spot at a time where the strategy was in a pretty infant stage. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the timing systems, we were, we were either having to use like OCR recognition to pull it off the TV feeds um, and or we were then getting it from the PDFs at the end, again, stripping it out there and trying to populate databases and, and bringing it in. But by doing that, you start to learn lots of ins and outs of right, what else do we need to know? What else do we need to plot? How, how, how can we analyze the competitor nature? So, yeah, like I said, I was lucky over that year. I got that taste of it and really enjoyed that side of things, really. It was a case of not just the strategy as in like when to pit, but just the whole competitor analysis, how it ties in. I think one thing which is kind of misunderstood from a strategy side as well, which kind of fans don't really take into account, or maybe don't know, is that it's not just strategy. You've got to have a, like a broad understanding of everything that's going on. So competitor analysis is a huge part of it because you need to know roughly how your competitors are going to be fair to, to plan your strategy. So at that point, you need to have that understanding of the aerodynamics you need to have a bit of understanding of vehicle dynamics you need to have a bit of understanding of race engineering so you need you just you touch on everything a little bit and just get that general understanding and then even stuff like get a help out with well not help out with pit stops but you go and do a pit, pit, pit stop analysis and you work with the mechanics so it was kind of that broad spectrum which um yeah which got me interested in it and Again, even even after that year, it wasn't that kind of final part, right, that's it, I'm, I'm going to be a race strategy. I knew I wanted to get back involved in F1 once I'd done my year placement, but still that kind of role of going down and being a full-time race strategist still wasn't kind of, yeah, top of my list. It was like, oh, I still like to do a bit of race engineering. I like to do a bit of performance engineering. But again, that strategy role was is quite key in, in getting that little bit, of, little bit of everything. Yeah, kind of. Well, you're a master of strategy and then not a master of anything else, but you know those little bits of everything else. So it was, yeah, that, that's that's kind of how it came about, really. And um, yeah, and kind of fanned, fanned the flames of my interest in it. Well, it's, it's really interesting to see how, to hear how kind of infant strategy was, uh, you know, as recently as kind of, you know, 15 years ago. And obviously it's progressed a long way. What does that kind of look like now? What kind of what software systems, kind of level of information and data do you have and how different is it from you know 15 years ago in that sense i mean it's night and day i mean in in the grand, grand scheme of things yeah it, it develops quite quickly from that early stage so like i said i was there 06 07 and came back into the sport in te- uh, in 09 or 10 so i was out for like a year when i finished off at uni and then a little bit of a sabbatical just outside of work um and even in that stage it taking a little bit of a step as everyone would like to know the importance of strategy. But yeah, we're saying now it's like, like I said, most, most teams have got that kind of five or six people in the, in the groups. And then, yeah, lowest numbers are kind of two or three, but you still got it there. 
everywhere all the time all the software now is kind of live data so you're looking at doing your live simulations so as the data comes in you're constantly doing your kind of monte carlo your, your simulations which are random variability your, you've, you've obviously got a lot of deterministic tools you've you've now to a point where you've got so much data coming in but like you've got obviously gps which is the huge one which has which came available in about i think it was about 2011, 2012, that, that came freely available to the teams, but you still had to do something with it. It was kind of a very raw feed. But that kind of GPS data then takes that next bit in because you can then start looking down that competitor analysis route, even digging into it, like feeding it into your own simulations, trying to work out kind of how your car com- compares to others when you're in over a set variable, what kind of L over D ratio. Team, other teams are running compared to you. If if you've gone down the right path, or have they gone down the right path, and so many little variables in that. And then going forward as well is you've obviously got the building of the video information you've got as well. So yeah, back then, back in the early days, you'd have got the main feed, which would have been coming over a terrestrial channel, and you might have been lucky to have got an onboard or two onboards. But if you'd kind of got a German subscription because at that point they German Sky had it was over here it was still on terrestrial TV so they didn't have the kind of red button or any of the, any of that aspect so you were like limited for your your information you could get even on from a video point of view whereas now you've got access to every single car's on board you've got access to like the main feed um, replays high definition um, so even doing that analysis for like the driver side of things but even the competitor side of things is is just you build on it so it's i mean it's it's kind of hard to explain it's just how much you're going because the data is isn't the data isn't exactly huge in terms of what comes in but obviously we get timing in there which is basically yeah your three sectors start finish line um speed traps that kind of stuff and then you get gps but then what you can actually do with that is a huge amount. So like you can just start plotting out. You can look at mini sectors of the lap. You can look at kind of your yeah, corner analysis into split into your low, high, medium speed corners, uh, looking at all that. You can start delving down because you've got the GPS. You can start looking into how kind of other teams are doing in terms of trying to track their fuel loads in practice sessions, which obviously gives you that better read of where you stand relative to them coming into a weekend. And it's this whole conversation going back over like a couple of years ago where I said, obviously some of the best races people have had are, are, are we've seen are ones where practice has been wiped out. And that's because just you, you go into the weekends a little bit blind. But even then, a lot of the weekends you kind of follow on from years before. You, you've got enough data going into weekend, but all right, this season a little bit different because of the huge reg changes, the tyres change gone to the 18-inch rim, so you're a little bit unknown. But like, say for last season, if you had any weekend, which was a two-day weekend, or the practice wiped out, you had a quite a substantial amount of data over the previous years where you could kind of go, okay, I'm pretty confident this is what the tyres are going to do. And you can pretty, once it comes in the race, again, once it comes into the race, the data's there coming in live, you can quickly track, right, what's our tyre degradation doing? Oh, this is our expected tyre degradation. Okay, wrong plan. Okay, it's a little bit off. However, you've gone into the race with your simulations, looking at right. The tire's going to do this. What happens if you do it? like it's two percent worth egg, five percent worth egg? Where life's a little bit shorter. So you, as soon as the race starts, you can kind of minim- pull it all out there and see where you line up. 
And I think it's just that ability to harness the data, which was there in the past. It was just difficult to access, whereas now it's um, it's gone and all the software is built around that. So like every week, the software is kind of being developed to say, right, what else do we want to look at? What else can we look at? Um, and and there's always more views. There's always, you've come across a race weekend, like last year, it was um, the Russia um, Sochi race where it rained um, towards the end of the race. Yeah, towards the end of the race, wasn't it? Um, and it's that kind of thing. It's like, right, how could we have planned for that better? How what what could we have done with it? Because we we've got all this data. We could have we could have looked at this and and got this data quickly to see how much of the track was this kind of intermediate conditions and how much of it was still dry to try and get that change over. So like you had the Lando and Lewis one and 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 obviously Lando gambled on it and they say, but if if we're going well, actually we didn't have a we didn't have a view where it was easy visible. You could see it, but you'd have had to do quite a bit of kind of dragging and dropping to try and see it. Whereas now we go, right, let's let's develop the software. So that's visible straight away. It just picks up people on tires, picks up people on intermediate tires and quickly shows, right, these parts of the lap are now intermediates. This is dry. Yeah, you should pick. And it's it's I I, I had a comment the other day, or um, I read a comment in an article, but and this is kind of because you hear a lot of people saying that, oh, it's all driven by computers. It's all driven by like software in, in these days and stuff but I kind of class a strategist as as a workman so you can have all the best tools in the world if you don't know how to use them you, you're still not gonna you're still not gonna you still need to know what to do for, with them and what to look for them and, and it's why I, I often talk to a lot of people like kind of students and stuff and say oh I want to be a strategist and it's great great but be prepared for it'll take you three to four years of just kind of Getting that experience, it's it's again, it's different scenarios which come up, and you go, uh, you get that in understanding of how things happen and um, and how you react to it, and yeah, it's it's just that process of building it because there's lots of little bits and pieces. Of people, like you say, everyone's a strategist. Everyone comes on on a Monday and going, well, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's quite easy in hindsight to look at it, but at the time when you've got seven things going on, it's um, you got people talking on four different radio channels that year to, to, to try and filter that out and, and get that best information. So, uh, yeah, like you've said, um, it, it's about getting the data and then how you process it, right, uh, and making sure you can you can find the key points from that. But in terms of your, your role as a race strategist, so we know on a Sunday you're on the pit wall, but on a Monday – there's so clearly so much data that you've got to go through, right? Make sure you've got the right data for whatever's happening. Um, how do you prepare for a race? You know, from Monday to 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 when when the race is live, what what does that look like for for a race strategist? Because you know, again, a, a new F1 fan might think the drivers just turn up, go for a quick race. So do the teams. The the more keen fans obviously know that this is a, a life. It's um, You've dedicated your life to this. So, what was a typical week when you're working in F1 as a race strategist? Um, yeah, so, so I think a good way to look at it is yeah, we'll take it from a Monday. I mean, more often than not, it starts well before a Monday. But so let's go back a couple of years ago when you had to do your tyre choices for um, actually, and people had different tyre selections coming in. So, at that point, Pirelli would, for a European race, would announce the tyres eight weeks before. Um, eight weeks before the race and for a flyaway it was 14 weeks before so as soon as you got that selection uh, that the sorry what ties it was going to be and you had to make your selection 
you were then looking in at data to say kind of right um what's what 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 do we need what do we do so you start planning out your your whole weekend so you're looking at what you're trying to achieve what are the possible scenarios going to occur how the tie is going to behave so in that point you go right what ties did we have last year um did we have the same tire selections last year for this race as we do this year have the tires changed from last year to this year as in probably changed the specification of the compounds a little bit so in that situation yeah like say for flyaway you know 14 weeks before you were starting to plan your actual weekend out of going right what what do we need to do what do we need to achieve going into the race what can we sacrifice because again f1's a lot about compromises in strategy and setup so sometimes you obviously can't run every single tire exactly how you want it before a race or so some things you have to go right we've got a 90 percent confidence but this tire is going to do this so we can sacrifice running that on a friday because we need to get information on these other two compounds um so you'd have to go through you'd have your chats with your race engineer you'd have your chats with your tire engineer and you try and come up with a kind of basically at that point you're doing your initial simulation they are kind of kind of say right what do we expect this race to be is it going to be a one-stop and if it's going to be a one-stop is it going to be between what two tires and if it is a one-stop you, you generally it's a little bit easy in terms of tire choice because you go okay we only need two sets of tires not a problem which two sets it is it doesn't matter we're going to carry three of we're going to carry one of each into the race anyway because basically that's how the regulations go if it's a two-stop however and this is the situation you've got to go oh, however what happens if we see something worse what happens if the deck's worse and it goes to a two-stop what tyres do we need to have available for the race? And we can't have burnt up on a Friday. So you start going through all those scenarios and you've got to kind of basically plan your weekend, plan, play, plan what's your best scenario, what you're trying to achieve, what information you need to find out. So you go into the race going, well, I really need to, and I really need to get some information on this because we didn't run the, say for Melbourne last week, so, or we didn't run the C5 last year where it was a c4 we're running a c5 this week so obviously we're expecting it to be a poor tire so do we just concentrate on making sure we got the information on the c2 and c3 or do we want to run that c5 at some point on a, on a long run so they're the kind of in the, in the past they were the initial kind of conversations which we started having like 14 to eight weeks before our race I'm a bit mind blown here. So you're in the middle of an F1 season, so you've got maybe a race coming out this week, but you're already thinking all the way down um, about strategy for a race in eight weeks, like you've said. So yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I'll put it one way: it's like, it's, uh, well, this is obviously this has changed now because Pirelli bring the same. Everyone has the same set of tires now, so they, they've changed that off over. But yeah, it, ultimately, I remember one one year because obviously the beginning of the season used to be the flyaways. So at the beginning of the season, you were generally having to submit your tyre allocation in December. Um, so one time I was having to do, actually, um, I was doing on Boxing Day, I was doing uh, some simulations for China because like it, it was due in on like the 2nd of January or something like that. So you kind of, and obviously everyone's off work. I've been off work for a couple of weeks, but it was like, well, we need, really need to get that. I'll, I'll send that in and then we'll quickly have a quick meeting when we get back so we can issue it. Because everything, you do a presentation, you do it and you kind of, have these discussions because someone might it's what f1's a team so every someone might come up with the thing so oh have you thought about that and you're oh, that's a good point or the tire engineer might say no no from the data i've seen from the kind of the prelly test data like looks like the tires next year are going to be better so we can probably be a bit more conservative or the track's changed and it's kind of 
one year it was um one year it was in August and now it's been moved to March, so or April. So like the weather conditions are very different. And actually what we saw in August isn't going to happen in August because it's it's 20 degrees cooler and and, and that. But yeah, that ultimately you were having to it was it was I all remember because obviously most of the bonds post shutdown or flyaways is so usually the last submissions of the season were always just before shutdown in August. And having submitted them was always a massive relief because you're like now you can literally the second half season just concentrate on the races coming up without suddenly having to go oh actually i've got to jump on uh another circuit um but like i said probably have taken that away now which to be honest i'm not i don't think it's affected the racing that much i think it got to a point where generally most teams would bring in the same allocation anyway and if not by the time we got to the race and qualifying we're pretty much the same so it hasn't really affected the race that much um the racing that much and and actually in, in the increase in schedule and everything for having that then um, reduced down and that bit of workload off you is is actually a massive help in that um let's go back to your original question uh, <laughs> on a on a monday um yeah you basically be doing your kind of pre-event sim so you you create a pre-event report so it's it's, it's almost aligned to the right what we expected at this circuit um like just even basic things so just giving a refresh on people so like you say right last it's this many laps long this is what we're expecting in terms of pit stop loss um last year's race this was what we've seen in the we saw this many overtakes they mainly took place at these corners um we're looking at an overtake delta of this amount based on last year so you, you're going over like all the historical data so you're building up that and then you start building up a pre-event report which basically puts this all forward and in the same report you'll then kind of put in right this is what we're expecting our tire curves to be so your tire curves here your, um your degradation you were like your performance life of them um the offset between them and and how they line up and then then from a strategy's point of view they'll get entered into your simulations so you'll do both a kind of uh free air simulation so a deterministic one so no traffic just pure right what's the optimum stop laps and then you put that put into your more complicated, um, like stochastic simulations. So you Monte Carlo, um, where you start introducing traffic variables, has a slight reactive model. So you're trying to obviously trying to do pit stops, uh, which see where the the windows goes with your tire curves. Is it a one stop? Is it a two stop? Um, obviously, this takes into account what your expected pace is going to be. So you start presenting that to people as well. So this is our expected finishing positions, our expected qualifying position. However, like the midfield's often very close. You can say, right, we've got a chance with strategy A, so if we've got this, this X, Y, and Z. So you start pulling this all together in kind of a document, really, which then generally takes a couple of days. That'll take, your aim is to kind of get it done in Monday, Tuesday, because then Tuesday you have a meeting with everyone, is, and then you present this all. So if there's any questions, that gets raised. It's just generally getting that idea across to, to the team. So making sure the race engineers are on board, the chief race engineer, the tire engineer, everyone has a discussion about it. But again, it's about planning your weekend now. So as a strategist, like I said, you've taken away that initial conversation, but I might come up to a race and go, I really need to, on in pre-practice, really my main thing in the long runs in P2, I need to get this information on this tire. Like it's a bit unknown. That's the most reliable session. So maybe we need to split the cars, have one car running a C3 and one car running a C4. 
I just need to get a good long run on them and just to, just to make sure so we can just get my confidence on those numbers um, of what it was. And then, then we try and work out elsewhere how we can just get the little bits. But you try and put this across to the group. You put your kind of targets in there and just make sure everyone's on the same page, really. So that's kind of your Monday, Tuesday, that week of gaining a lot of historic data, running your simulations, having your meetings, having your discussions. And also you get the information from other people. So like your tire engineers, your racing engineers, um, your aero group was like, well, what's, what kind of setup we're going for? How might this affect us? Any little variables like that, which might come into a, into, into play and into, into a race. Um, then on the Wednesday, you'll head out to a track um, generally. So it's kind of more, so I'm talking about general Europeans. It's more just of a travel day, but you obviously just start tying up, still doing a few more simulations. I always like say to people who ask me about strategy, and so I'll come to this on a little bit later, but like you can always be doing more. There's a, like it's never ending because there's always something you, you look at and go, going into it. It's kind of, I kind of class the Saturday night work as so once you've got your grid, you're qualifying and everything, everyone else goes off and can have a little bit of a chilled out night on a, on a Saturday or just sleep basically. Whereas the strategist then has to work until midnight, 1 a.m to kind of go over your plan get everything sorted but it's kind of like revising for an exam so you're kind of making sure you cover you don't exactly know what the questions are going to be but you've got to try and cover off as many possible outcomes as possible so if something does arise in the race you're prepared for it if like or even just it doesn't even have to be a race for you can mean your strategy meeting on a sunday morning you've just got to make sure you have an answer if a driver comes up and goes oh what happens if this happens you've got to have an answer because you've got to show some confidence and build his confidence in your plan and if you can't answer something that he's asking you he's going to start doubting doubting the plan so that's that's another part when i was saying that just becoming a strategist isn't a straightforward you need to have that kind of experience and confidence and be able to to be confident by talking to drivers sell your plans to the drivers get them on board with it because ultimately if they're not on board with the strategy it's going to struggle to that they're going to they're gonna the way drivers work. They'll look for a reason for it not to work. So they'll be so you you hear them coming on the radio going, "This isn't working." The tires are dirty. I said this was going to happen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like and that's a scenario where no one does it deliberately, but it's just a case of they've never really bought into the strategy, so they don't understand what the plan is going forward of why we were why you're trying something like that. So yeah, so it's it's a busy week in that sense. Thursday, Friday, once you get to the track. Thursday is obviously setup day. You often have pit stops in there. You start, you talk to the drivers for the first time. So you have a few meetings. Generally, the Thursdays is taken up with meetings, just discussing setup, going over the plan again. Um, yeah, talking with talking with drivers. Um, yeah, doing a track walk, checking the track itself, see if anything's different. And some obviously tracks have some slight changes, which maybe make overtaking a bit easier. If you go into a new track, say Miami coming up or even Melbourne last weekend where I hadn't been for a couple of years and I had quite a few changes, looking for it and going, trying to work out what may or may not happen. Is the safety car probability going to be actually lowered because of the changes they made to it? The runoffs are quite big. Um, well, the runoffs aren't very big, so you've actually got a high chance of a safety car coming here or even a red flag. So you kind of think, right, okay, maybe we need to factor this bit more into our simulations and it's, it's it's basically that on Thursday is just double checking your work, just going over it, 
just getting some ideas in your head of, again, what do I need to find out on the Friday? What do I need to look for? And then, yeah, and then just going into it. And then usually Thursday as well, strategies tend to have a bit of a part in the pit stops as well. So doing a bit of pit stop analysis, just chatting to the guys. So that's that's kind of what I, both Mercedes and Haas, I was doing quite a bit of work with them, just doing a bit of pit stop analysis because ultimately pit stops can have a big effect on your strategy. So so I always tell Curtis Van that a strategist should take interest and and put work into the into the pit pit team to try and improve them and try and help them out because ultimately they can help your strategy if you've beaten someone in the pit lane and you've gone for an undercut or an overcut or something like that you want that good pit stop so you need to try and obviously the pit guys want to do well but you want to try and help them do what you can there um and then once you're into the weekend it's just yeah it's just flat out from that point just doing again doing as much analysis as possible on that data and i mean it sounds like mentally you have to be focused on the race weekend coming up but also two months three months down the line or at least previously when you were kind of submitting the tire choices i think it was actually gunstein actually was one of the people who kind of said that taking that variable away was actually a really big help um during covid but how many plans do you have over a weekend like so you obviously have a plan a plan b during a race but like, how extensive does it go? Like, is it, is there a lot of thinking on the fly? Like, how do you kind of keep calm in that situation? Um, again, I think it, it goes back to a little bit of this, what I was saying about experience and kind of just knowing these scenarios. So ultimately you're going to weekend with, yeah, like you say, your plan A, your plan B, your plan C, and you kind of, your possibilities of like, well, this has a chance of happening. This has a slightly less chance of happening. Well, this might not happen. Or this might, this this is what something that is unlikely to happen. But if it does happen, this is what we're going to kind of go. So you try and cover off as much as you can. So there's nothing that hits you with too much of a shock. Um, and that's why people do all these simulations beforehand. And that's why kind of car setups are, more, more more often than not, cars get to the circuit and they're quite well positioned and set up is not too far off. So it's just a case of tuning it once they do the practice sessions and getting it done. That's obviously a little bit here and there. And then obviously the cars, which have a disastrous weekend, there's just not enough time to recover in terms of if you turn up somewhere and you're in, you're up miles off the base, there's just not enough running to be able to to pull it all the way back you'll pull some of it back but probably won't get as far so i think it's just that case of you plan for the most likely ones because you can't plan for everything because there's obviously millions of permutations of what could or couldn't happen and it's just a kind of case of trying to re recollect if something does happen recollect your kind of situation of oh, i've experienced that in the past so uh, that's this is what happened in this scenario a lot of this comes down to the kind of like more often than not is if there's a, a sporting thing so or regulations kind of stuff or something happens on track and you go hang on a minute you're not allowed to do that and they say and you start having another thing the strategies tend to have is kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of the regulations so you're kind of like no yeah man, that's he's broken a regulation now you might not be able to well i know some people who can literally call what number it is as well i've never quite got to that stage but you, you know roughly what the regulation is you know it's definitely against the regs and then your spotting guy or your team manager goes, yeah, okay, we'll get we'll get onto that about that. Um, but yeah, it's 
in terms of plans, you like you, you need to be prepared because there's just not enough time to to fully react. If you if you stand around for twenty minutes, kind of going, what do we do now? That's your practice session over, or that's your qualifying session over. So like you need to be prepared as possible for the most likely scenarios and even the unlikely scenarios. You you've got that's why the guys who work there just not just strategists but everyone there is they're there for a reason it's because they've built up their experience and they've built the knowledge and if you've got a crash or something everyone knows get in there like this is what we've got to do this is this is how we how we react to it so i think that's the best way to answer your question really is that yeah there's, there's you can't plan for everything but you've you've just got to hope that you have planned for everything and if you haven't he's just trying to use you you can't stand around thinking about it too long you've just got to try and use your experience and work as a team and kind of bring, bring it all together to, to, to get, get through it almost like any direction is better than no direction kind of yeah. you yeah, just need to make a, make a choice yeah. enough time in, in 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 an f1 weekend if you're if you're kind of stuck yeah 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 that's it you you, you just you know, every t- every probably like I know people sit the pits for every song, but every time you're not doing something productive. So if you're sat the pits not doing anything productive, and you're not on track being productive, then you're losing time to because every other team is doing something. Even if they're sat in the pits, they're doing a setup change or they're just doing a bit of analysis or, or something. So yeah. So Mike, if I've understood this right, you you're you would plan for a third slap incident or, you know, a front wing being knocked off. You've already got the plan in place. You know exactly what's going to happen in that scenario because obviously there's a higher chance of it happening. So that, that, I find that interesting. And as as fans, we always wonder how on earth race strategists are so calm. But I think you've sort of explained that's because the plan's already there. You know exactly what's going to happen. But how do you deal with drivers that aren't calm in that moment? Because obviously they don't have a plan in their head for going in and, and um, you know, having, having a bump on the first lap. So uh, how, does, how do the drivers influence what, what, what a strategist would do? Yeah, again, it's, it's so for the drivers, I mean, unfortunately, you, we have a, like, you'll have a strategy meeting in, in a Sunday morning. So with the drivers, you you have to go through everything with them. So you've got to go through the worst case scenario. So like you say, if this happens on lap one, this is what's going to happen. And most of them are clever enough to know like that, okay, if this does happen, we're going to require X, Y, or Z. But this is what you kind of tell them. You kind of say, if nothing happens, we're going to be a bit stuck from this point forward. And if, if, if that's what it is, and they kind of get it, but you kind of try and, again, you've got to explain to them and kind of say, right, this is what happens. From this point forward, we'll be hoping for a safety car at this point to try and get us back in it or a safety car at that point. And we can try and do that, which may bring it in. You know, obviously, you're not going to be in an optimum position because you've had to make a pit stop on lap one, but it's disaster recovery at that stage. So you go through, again, the majority of the scenarios with the drivers. And obviously, the best drivers take it in and understand it and kind of and they'll they'll know the situation and then during a race it's a case of sometimes it, it, it's hard because there's a lot going on in a race but and the driver doesn't know the situation so he knows literally he knows what position he's in well sometimes you don't even know what position he's in but like he can he can see the car in front he can see the car behind but he doesn't know like doesn't know the car who's what's on the edge of his pit window he doesn't know that three cars in front of 
have already made that pit stop, which is why we're doing that. So, which is why we're kind of pushing the strategy a bit longer before and, and why it's slightly changed. So you've got to try and give them as much information as possible before the race to mitigate anything. But at the same time, you can't overload them. So this is where sometimes this kind of back and forth comes in. And it's it sometimes sounds like it's it's them influencing the strategy, but it's not. It's it's kind of it's already been discussed beforehand. So they're kind of reiterating maybe what they've already the team's already talked about in the morning. So they'll be kind of like, why are we going long? And then the race engineer will then go back and say, because this is this, and then he'll know it. So it's just because you obviously can't give him a full breakdown of exactly what's happening everywhere in the race. You've just got to kind of build that trust with the driver that, yeah, what we're doing is is correct. We're trying to mitigate for this what's happened, but we're pushing on. It's all looking fine. And that's why if you often hear the race engineers go, no, we're good. And like, oh no, we got unlucky there because of the safety car. Um and yeah, it's that kind of explanation to the drivers beforehand just to get them kind of in that position that they're not confused when it's going on because obviously it's they're literally in a cockpit and occasionally they see something on a TV screen going on a circuit, which like gives them information. But if we're not actually feeding them fully information because we don't want to do that as well, you don't want to kind of give them a full P1 to P20 rundown of the order and the gaps between it because by the time you get through that, you're back around a level up and you can't talk to them in corners. And you've just got to be really kind of specific of what you give them in that sense. So, so yeah, but sometimes like they can. And they, they will kind of give a bit of feedback. So if you're going into a race where you're not sure how the tyres are going to behave and or you need the tyres to behave in a certain way and they can come back and say, no, I'm not, like you'll say, pre-race, you go, well, great. We've got to make it to lap 19 on this um, and then we can take it to the end of the race. And he's coming on lap 12 and going, I really can't make it to lap 19. We need to go to plan B. It's like you can look at the data and you can look at the lap times and you look at all the data we've got and you go, okay, yeah, he's not just saying it, he's he's really unhappy. Because sometimes it can just be saying because they're stuck in a bit of traffic. But at that point, you're still like, no, just getting out of traffic was still not better converting to a two-stop at this point. But if, you're, if your tyres are fully going off, then yes, we are better converting to a two-stop. Um, so it's, it's that kind of, yeah, it's that difficult thing of it. You can't overload them, but you still need to give them as much information as possible. And like, so like, I guess with some of the more experienced drivers, that can be the difference in some ways. Like, I guess Turkey would be a good example for like with Lewis in 2020 when he didn't, when they didn't pit and they kind of, the inters would worn all the way down. I guess, interestingly, you can look at Turkey in 2021 when Lewis was really unhappy about the strategy called that, that race. How does it differ working with an experienced driver versus, say, a rookie? Because obviously, at Haas last year, two rookie drivers. Um, and who who was who's the best driver that you've worked with from that perspective? Because obviously, you've worked with champions as well. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah. Obviously, working with rookies and working is. I actually really enjoyed it because, especially with working with Mick, is that he was is. Tell he's been brought up by it and he's been obviously brought through the Ferrari Academy and he's really keen, he's really knowledgeable and like he really listened, he asked good questions, and he you could tell he just wanted to learn. So like you could actually give him that information, tell him to uh, like how to develop. So he, he started becoming a little bit more of a kind of kind of 
drive a mentor more than anything to kind of say, right, this is, these are the kind of things we, we need to look at. And in that aspect, it was, it was really pleasurable working with him. And then he, he often as well, you know, you know, his, you know, with him like that is that like, he's not going to come shouting over the radio as well as a rookie because he's still kind of, well, some, some do, but more often than not, you kind of, for a start, like you've got to have a bit of a thick skin and you kind of, if, if a rookie's doing it, you kind of, that's what it is. It's like, but then the experienced guys obviously do know that a little bit more. So it can help you, but it also can hinder you because they start getting a bit clever. Um, so often you're like, I mean, in terms of Lewis, for example, it's like, he's obviously world-class. He's he good and he knows exactly what he's doing. But then sometimes he'll come on and like I say, make the comment, He'll often make comments about his tires. About well, tires are definitely gone. And you said it so many times. My tires are gone. Tires are gone. And then he pumps in the fastest lap. And like more often than not, again, like I say we'll go. You look at the data; they're not gone. And he, I kind of uh, half the time he's doing it to try and I think because uh, everyone's listening to everyone else's radios. So you're trying to kind of give that indication to you're trying to get someone else behind you to use the tires a bit more because they're like, oh, his tires are going, we'll push that a little bit more and it ends up them using the tires where he's actually, he's been managing them and he's, he's got more in it. So you, they sometimes have that bit more, few more tricks up the sleeves, which as a strategist, you, they're not, they're not going to make it open because they they keep everything quite close to the chest. So, so you've got to be kind of aware with that in, in that respect. Um, so that makes things a little bit interesting, but then at the same time, they are sometimes very good with their kind of kind of feedback um, and their kind of their knowledge again, that kind of experience of what they've what they've gone through before and how how you could possibly use that situation. But I'm not saying, but not all experienced drivers are like that. It's kind of it varies. You can have a very good rookie driver who is probably better than a guy who's got six seasons under his belt. So it's, sure. it, it doesn't. It's very much the the mentality of of the driver rather than I kind of think their level of experience. Obviously, that bit of experience if they've been through things in the past can do it. But at that same time as well, that sometimes, again, with the driver, they'll see something happen in one race and suddenly think that's possible in every race, but it's not. It's, uh, so you've got to kind of try and get into the head. But no, just because he ran a fifty five like the album one, just because he ran fifty five mm. laps on the C two in Melbourne. Doesn't mean we can run fifty-five laps on the C two in this next race. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that strategy. Yeah. Well, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't quite work. Like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like with, with the Lewis thing, I personally love the Lewis bluff. And whenever Lewis comes on the radio and oh, the tires are going, I think, all right, he's got another twenty laps in him, yeah. right? And he's going to start b- b- banging in those. It's almost. It's almost got to the point that that bluff is almost not a bluff anymore <laughs> for him. Do, do you ever have any kind of like power struggles? mid-race with the driver like them not coming in repeatedly after you've asked them to or surprising you in the stop and being like no i'm done with these tires even though you're saying all of our projections are saying stay out does that ever happen or is that just not done not really no because i think if it ever gets a kind of that stage in the relationship then something's kind of broken down somewhere um yeah you, you can kind of Again, like you, you just the drivers are very much aware, and, and then again, unless something's broken down, but we have a lot more information than they do. They they don't know what's going on, so if they're kind of like we're not calling them in for a reason, and they kind of we we can see something, we can like try and reinforce them. And if they're really not happy, 
then eventually you go kind of you've got to put it in so like you, you kind of get given the information you kind of say in the terms of the strategy but they're coming on going oh my ties are done my ties are done you said no you, you're matching the pace of x y and z fine strategies on plan you just got to reinforce them so it's not so much a battle with them you've just got to communicate correctly but they're obviously feeling something which they don't like but you kind of got to make it as well for like no but in our race situation it's fine it's, it's all right we're not suddenly struggling to others um or yeah or vice versa the difficult ones come and it's not difficult but is the transitional weather ones because the drivers have a lot better information than what we do on the pit wall in most cases so like going to dry tires like they can they can often tell in most cases there's like no it's ready for slick so you'll more often than not it's that understanding but if we if we're going to if we're going to dry you kind of you you often don't want to be the first one to do it because you can often look like an absolute muppet if you do but you can obviously win it great um and sometimes you you hopefully wait for one car you can quickly check the sectors and go no fantastic now he's going quick and get him in but everyone has that information so you, you kind of you don't want to wait too long on it so sometimes you have a driver who's that little bit more confident go no i can i'm gonna it's gonna be good going on to going on to drives now i, I reckon we can do it and it's like i can see the dry line it's i've got a grip it's it's, it's okay difficult thing i think with the races we saw last year was that the intermediate once it got down to a certain point was actually behaving really well so it was that difficult thing to go right well i mean it is it well so it's obviously been istanbul both years and it's the nature of the circuit as well but see it was a very difficult one to call that because the lap times weren't exactly going off on the intermediate but obviously the guys going on to new intermediates were quicker but at that point they were graining it so it's that kind of balance out that could you just hang on to it enough to, to, to do it so sure, i guess it kind of that also plays into the kind of wider tapestry of not having been there for a decade almost and also it suddenly being an october race whereas it had always been a, a kind of first half of the season race before that yeah it was it was a, it was a couple of things on, on that one yeah I hadn't been there for a while i mean obviously 2020 it was freshly resurfaced i think about two weeks before you got there so i mean we were walking on yeah cold weather because it was october november just been resurfaced i remember walking around on on the on the thursday walking the track and it was like you could feel how slippy it was just walking on it and then it was and it was yeah people went out on the kind of the first runs and it was just like there was no grip and there was no grip all weekend um because there wasn't much running on it it was i think it was literally just f1 and i think it got to a point on the friday night they sent a load of um renault cleos round to try and grip it up obviously did nothing but it was, um, it was quite hilarious watching that um and then obviously last year track had weathered in a little bit so it was that little bit better than you saw the lap times a lot better but it's still that nature that it didn't fully dry it never got to that crossover and it was a really strange situation but because again the circuit's not used for any other point of the year so you don't have that kind of rubber in it weathered a little bit but you're getting seen times where like it was really like the inters were going really quickly Com- like compared to a, a slick time and you think it never gets that this in any other circuit if you that if you're into that that quickly like oh that inter's going to destroy itself and you go on to slicks but the inter got down and then you like put the slicks on and say like, no it's still not slick weather and it's just it was 
it's a really strange case of Istanbul, and I think no one's really ever got on top of the full reasons why why it behaves like it does. But no, it's, it was it was interesting in that sense. But I think last year's one, everyone again was a little bit thinking about the year before. So you know, obviously you're going well, like, and obviously Lewis had it in his mind. Oh, I can't, I can't pit. I, I didn't pit last year, and we won and won the race. So I was like, can't pit this year. I was like, but because it weathered slightly. The tyres, the new winters on a slightly dry line didn't grain as much, so they had that bit better performance, which was better than the and yeah. So you just got to say, even year to year, things do slightly develop and evolve, and you just got to try and again figure it out as quick as you can. <laughs> so I want to talk a, a bit about the lifestyle of working in F1 with your team and sort of the, the dynamics of that. So. Obviously, last year was it was a long season, um, and they're only getting longer. Um, what's it like being part of the race team? Obviously, you get really close to your team, your drivers, um, all the personnel, and you're away from home a lot. Is this a second family? You know, what, what what's it actually like being in F one? Mm, um, careful what I say here. I think. <laughs> No, I mean it's it is it is a situation where, yeah, you're spending a lot of time with with people in close quarters, and it's um, you do notice that if you don't get on, if like if there's a bit of unharmony or like disharmony, sorry, in in the team, quickly comes out, and you can. It's very important to keep that morale high. I mean, there's a split as well, but like mechanics generally have to share rooms so they have that uh, whereas the engineers get their own room so the mechanics kind of obviously that have that situation where they could be away for three weeks sharing a room for with a, an, another guy for, for that period of time so if you're not sharing with someone you don't like then obviously you're gonna have potentially quite some unhappy people in there so teams try and do what they can to kind of cater for that and then i think it's like anything it's like you, you're never going to be best mates with with everyone there it's it's a team but like there's the 60 odd people there so you you have your groups which you kind of you need to you well you you have your groups that make it survivable really because you like you say you're away from home for so long you you might want a close group of friends where you kind of go out for dinner and go and go like three or four you go out for some food and a couple of beers and stuff and then you'll get other guys who want to maybe do sample it a bit more and, and go go out a bit heavier and, and like some of the younger lads were who who can cope with it a bit better than that I can at my age now. Um and it's it's difficult. It's definitely I I don't think you can ever say like I don't think anyone who works in F1 will come and say it's easy. It's because for the end of the day we're there to do a job. So like you have something a lot well a lot of places you go kind of you're at the circuit, you you literally you see airport hotel circuit, and that's um that's all you see. And then occasionally you get a couple of days downtime. If you if you're staying out, like say it's a double header fireway or something, you might you might get a couple of days here or there just the way you can actually go to wander and and go and go and see some of the sites or just have a have a have a bit of a rest. And that and that side of things is nice, but at the same time, it's 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 not easy it's it's not the glamour and lifestyle that a lot of people think it is um 
Because as an F1 fan, right, we look at you and we think you get to go to every race. You've got tickets money can't buy. Um, you know, it, it's the dream. But um, are, you, are you still that F1 fan that watched it on TV? Um, or does it change once you get into it? Um, I, I will admit that, like, it kind of, it, it does drain you a little bit. It's uh, like, obviously... I love, and don't get me wrong, I like, I kind of feel like the job is fantastic. You get to do a job that a lot of people are going to do. You do get to travel the world to a certain extent. Um, even if the paddocks just could be any country in the world, you, you kind of see the same thing. Um, and you get to see the cars, you get to speak to drivers. You, you do a lot of things that a lot of people obviously love to do. Um, and it's that balance, really, but you kind of, it's like, you have to make a lot of sacrifices to do it. Um, so you obviously give up a lot of family time. And it's also not like like we were chatting about earlier. It's not like we do the race and we come back home and then we've got a, a week at home just to chill out before going out to the next race. It's like, it's not okay. You get back home and then you're in work the next day. You're like, I have the engineers, you're doing all your post-race analysis, um, getting ready for the next race. The mechanics are stripping the cars down, servicing the cars, getting them rebuilt getting ready for the next race, any developments in that aspect. So it's it's not like we do the we just do the race and then it's kind of right, that's it. And then we'll go out to the next race and we do that twenty three times a year. So and then on top of that, you've obviously got to you've got to try and make up with everyday life as well. So your partner who you've not seen for two weeks, um, or your kids or something, and like you kind of you've got to kind of go and obviously put in, put in a bit of time with them. You've got to try and make up for not being around or not doing a school run and, and, and that aspect. So you've got those weights on that. So sometimes sometimes I know some people actually see the travelling out to races as, as a bit of a break because they're actually flat out trying to make up for going out for the races. But um, it's it's a great job. It, it, it is really a good job. Um, but it's it's really, it is punishing. I mean, and, and I've, I like... I've seen a lot of people, especially the last couple of years, because COVID hasn't made things easy as well, because obviously there's a lot of restrictions of we weren't able to go out, or you had to kind of stay in your hotel and numerous PCR tests you had to do. So that made things a bit difficult. So obviously with things opening up a little bit more now, it's um hopefully it makes things a bit easier. And they're, they're trying to they're trying to help out by kind of increasing the curfew periods. But actually what that's doing at the moment is it's just putting the same amount of workload into a shorter period of time for the, for, especially for the mechanics. So they're, they're absolutely flat out. And like, especially this new regulations trying to build a car with these new cars, there's always going to be issues. So they're kind of, they're working absolutely flat out, trying to build cars, trying to get it in before curfew. Basically they're not getting to stop for a, a break at the moment. They're not even getting stopped into eat. They're getting a couple of sandwiches brought to the garage. They can buy that in between work. Then like, so they're doing kind of, 15, 16 hour days flat out and 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 they do it. So and this is the other thing really else is that when you go to a race weekend, it's 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 a 90 hour week generally. That's it's kind of like it's so you you're not it's not just the the glamour of the couple of practice sessions. I mean like the hours like before the TV starts, the guys have been at the track like four hours before and and after the TV finishes they're there for another seven hours. And like you know, and all that time constantly they're like pushing it and, and trying to get everything done and trying to make it. And and 
it's I understand like I see see a lot of comments on on kind of Twitter and stuff like that, but like the fans love it and the fans bring it. And obviously, at the end of the day, that's what the teams do it for. So that's like it, it is an enter. It's a sport, but it's obviously if there's no one watching it, it would make no money, so it wouldn't exist. So it's it's that kind of crossover, but you have to do it for the fans. Um, but it's going to come to a point if they keep adding races or if they keep adding this aggressive schedule, but people just aren't going to do it anymore because it's it's just it's not worth it. There's um, there's it's it, especially you'll, you'll get guys and I, I already know it. You get a couple of guys coming in to be mechanics in the early to mid twenties. They do it for a couple of years, travel the world. Great, done that now. I'll go and do something else because I can get paid just as well to do something. But I'm actually sat at home um, and I've tried. I've got to travel the world. I've experienced it. Got it. My CV tick done. And then you're just going to start struggling to get that kind of personnel that have that long longevity. So the quality will start to drop. And the same with engineers, you'll find that oh, an engineer can actually I can go and work for that kind of like Land Rover or something and Jaguar, Jaguar or something, and they'll pay me just as much to go and do this. And I don't, I don't, I, I work a nine to five job and get paid overtime. You know, so you, there's no overtime or anything in F1. So it's that kind of balance, but you start pushing it too far the quality is going to drop in terms of the personnel working in the sport as well and therefore then the like then the quality will drop in terms of the racing and then it's 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 difficult it's um yeah it's it's an interesting question like it's one that i think they just need to be cautious of as well because i mean you don't need in my opinion you don't need to have 25 plus races a year you like yeah. every every weekend is is ample it's 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 it's, it's a great it's like it's a nice because it takes it because it's not like a football match where you stick it on for 90 minutes and it's done like all right if you just watch the race it's 90 minutes but if you want to watch all the build-up for it that's an hour and a half before it then you watch the actual race then you watch all the footage afterwards and maybe that's because F1 is as well. It's because there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of kind of information you need to gather before it. So it's not just the 90 minutes of the race and racing because that's actually not where the full entertainment is. It's the kind of anticipation to come, what's coming, and then hearing the interviews and hearing that that, that respect about it, and or seeing the cars like in the pit lane and kind of um, getting the kind of technical analysis. And if you start mm. as a fan designating all your time to that, you're putting in good chunk of hours each weekend yourself and then you, you they get to a point where you start going I can't do this every like 30 weekends a year and, it, and then it starts devaluing it a little bit as well so I, I think you're absolutely right and and you know if we feel like that as fans you can only imagine the the, the, the team members yeah I mean don't, like I said just like don't get me wrong it's like it's 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 a cracking job it, it really mm. is and it's something like I love doing, and I like that I'm still involved with it now. And um, it's like a bit of a back, back, further back roles, which is suits my bit of my work life balance a little bit. But you just got to be cautious because the other, the other thing as well, like I've seen, I've I've seen a few people like starting to actually get physically ill from it, and we're only on race four. And it's like it's kind of it's just intense. It's because at the end of the day as well, it's like it's a sports driven results for like. If if you're working for a team like Haas last year, and I mean Haas, 
we still had to turn up every week. We still had to put the effort in. You still have to do it because sponsors are paying money. Fans are watching. And there's still fans of Pats who want us to do well. And they, I see the comments last year. I used to do, you know, we say, oh, this week, we might get points this week. And you're there reading. No, no, we won't. Because <laughs> it was that. I mean, last year it was. It was like kind of, we, 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 yeah, we're not giving up, but it was just, it wasn't going to happen. And that's the way F1s would work. It's like, mm-hmm. You, you, you can kind of know what's going to happen. You never get that. You get the freak result occasionally, but you still need to be in that position to be take advantage of that freak result, which pass and lottery weren't last year. Mm. Um, yeah, so you then get pressures on you from from above. So it's not kind of, it's just we're turning up, building some race cars, racing around a bit, having fun entertaining. It's like there's pressure on these guys as well. There's like pressures to get the cars built. There's pressures to perform. There's, there's pressures from drivers. like. Like from a strategist point of view, you're kind of there going, well, I, I really don't want to like mess up for, for this driver. I, I, I want to get this result for him. I want to, um, I, I don't want to, to, to mess up this strategy. I need to put, so I need to put more work in. There. I need to kind of make sure I've covered off all these opportunities and all these um, potential issues. Um, so everyone builds that pressure. And then if results don't happen, like, pressure builds and it builds on certain people and then and then and like you go back to this question where you all travel you're all close knit you're away from home with it but once the pressure starts to build people start to kind of get a bit edgy and then you're away from home for three weeks and you've been under the same people then someone who's even your best mate can really get on your nerves and it's kind of like your pressure's building pressure does different things to different people and while it might not come across and show it it's um it's a stressful it's a stressful industry as well because there's a lot of money involved and there's people putting a lot of money into it. So results are important at the end of the day, because I know people, I worked with people who worked for Marussia, Mana, who've kind of gone under. So they've been out of a job and been that situation where a team's gone under. And, and while everyone looks quite stable now, you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know, like, if someone's just going to go, nah, but I've had enough now. It's like, even even up to the top level of Mercedes, well, it's doubtful. You might see that Mercedes actually, Mercedes board might start to go. Now nah, we, we don't want to don't want to put our put the amount of money or the name into it anymore. And mm. suddenly they're having to make two hundred people redundant just to get it down to because they can sell the team on. But someone who doesn't quite have the same backing. I'm not saying that is going to happen, but it's just that no team in that field, apart from maybe your Ferrari and Red Bull, is fully financially stable and like. Because F1's an expensive business, and unless you're winning, you're probably not going to recoup your money you're putting into it. So you need that backer in there, which um, which is happy to unfortunately lose money, which not many people are. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like the kind of the highs are really high, and the lows can be really, really low. And I guess one thing I would be interested to hear about is your highs in the sport. So. What strategy calls have you been involved in that were kind of your favourite or the ones that you were particularly proud of? And also, what are your favourite kind of strategy calls from from all time? Because obviously the Albon strategy in Melbourne has kind of brought a bit of a focus to it um, of late. Yeah, I mean, I think mine's so like, I, I answered this the other day on, on Twitter. Like, I think someone asked a similar one based on the Albon strategy. It was like, well, what, what, do, you, what do you think is a really good strategy? But, um, Done. I was like, from my point of view, it was the um, I know we got a penalty for it, but pitting under the 
um, before the formation lap in Hungary and when in 2020 was that to, to um, yeah to get off the, the wet tires and onto slicks to, to start so start from the pit lane effectively mm-hmm. and I mean and again this is a kind of it's a situation from that one where we needed to do something drastic to get points because the car wasn't wasn't very good and you're often the strategy point of view if you put yourself in that position where you're actually running third or fourth then you have a chance if you're running down at that 13 14 hoping that something happens in front of you very rarely it does you need to put yourself so that third or fourth eventually once it settles down you still end up eight or ninth and you, and you get that position but that for us was fantastic i mean i i, I really like yeah, I was I was very happy with that. That was that, that's that's definitely one of my top ones. And I think that's probably my boldest one. But a lot of them are just kind of for me, it was just a lot of times my satisfaction and happiness in kind of strategy cars are just when a plan comes to fruition. So you like you can plan it out knowing kind of like this is what we've got to be aware of, this is what we've got to if we do this here, we've got a chance of getting this position. And then you do it and you get that position. Like, so you just do that undercut. It might be only gaining one position or something, but kind of you've planned it out and you've kind of plotted out, you've told what's going to be to be done. You called it at the right time. The pit stop's good. Ties are good on the outlap. So you've got all that planned in. They cover it, try to cover your next lap and you get that position. That is, there is that kind of thing like punching the air on the pit wall when you see yourself come out in front of that other car. And that, so it's just that kind of general on there. Um, in terms of other strategies, I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult one. Like the album one last week was great. I mean, that was kind of it's it, it was it was bold again, and it was and it's one of those ones where yeah, you need to you need to roll the dice a little bit. You need to kind of do something a different, bit different. But actually, what I think what people didn't actually kind of pick up on that one as well is actually the car performed a lot better than I think they were expecting. So if you actually look at the pace of it, he wasn't too dissimilar to your Alfa Romeo's, your Haas, your, even your McLaren. It was like his lap times were actually matching them um, and that, and like in certain points in that race. So a lot of these strategies, which are bold, can only come off if the car has a bit of performance as well. Um, so so they're, they're the kind of, yeah, little factors to look at. In terms of kind of other people, I mean, I think, I think the Lewis strategy, the Mercedes strategy in Barcelona last year, um, was a good one. Um, I mean, I'm quite like as I've looked at it, like obviously it worked really well because he put the pressure on and made that second pit stop, and then obviously didn't give Verstappen the chance to react to it, and then caught Verstappen and passed him. I mean, I like a lot of people. I like, look at it, and it, it was a great call, and it, it was there because they looked like they were both on a one stop. Well, actually, going into that race, I, I I was already very much that's a two-stop race. So I was like, when they did that, I was just like, well, yeah. It's like I'd already felt like in my eyes, that's what that was what the done strategy was. They pulled the kind of trigger a little bit earlier than they potentially was, but they made it kind of possible because I think Red Bull cornered themselves in that one. But if I remember it correctly, they only had they only had one set of mediums to use or something, whereas Mercedes had two sets of mediums or two sets of hard or I can't remember which right way around it was, but it meant that the Stappen couldn't go as early as what Mercedes pulled it because he only had um, like a, a medium left to, to put on instead of a hard. Or, oh, sorry, I can't remember the, the ins and outs of it. 
But that was that was a good strategy because that that was a. It's always those ones where you react. You sorry, you don't react to something. Well, you react to a situation. You go, okay, we don't do something different. We're not. We're not going to. Um, we're not going to get the the result we we want. Um, so we try something. Mercedes are like, like a little. Just to put a bit of caveat on that strategy, while it was it was a good call, really successful. I mean, they didn't have anything to lose. Literally, if he pitted and didn't win, he would have finished second. It wasn't like he was pitting from second and potentially if it went wrong, he was going to finish seventh. He was pitting from second, I think, behind Bottas. So he literally had to pass his teammate and that, and, that, and then he was back in the same position he was. The midfield strategies are often where it becomes a lot more complicated because to do something different, you're potentially costing yourself six or seven positions. So you go like you say, if, and if this doesn't come off, I'm potentially putting ourselves out of the points. So it's in a touching place for a, a potential podium, say if a couple of cars drop out, to putting ourselves in 12th, and then you kind of, you know, that kind of runs out. And then you're one from my side, I stands in, and it, it didn't work out, but it had that potential. So again, it was into Lagos in 20, 2019. Um, so the one where Sainz got on the podium, I think. Um, and like we were running like so we were with man, we were running right behind signs on a similar age tires and we decided not to pit on the safety car restart then unfortunately for us everyone came past us at the safety car restart but they weren't able to pass signs and like he came in up so it, oh, and then eventually like we couldn't get the tires restarted so it didn't work for us but like you kind of look at what signs accomplished from us and then you kind of, this is what potentially could have happened and we wouldn't have decided to finish on the podium, but if we'd just got that, like, if, say, the tyres had been five laps younger or something, or we'd just put a bit more temperature in under that safety car and got them restarted, then that chance of getting that podium was was just there. And it just shows, like, kind of the fine margins on those. When you're doing that kind of bold strategy, you can, like, I mean, Roman came up to me and went, well, we should have put in the safety car. I said, well, fine, it. And he was like, worked for him. I was just like, because I, I always get the other way, you always get either way. So no matter what you do, you're, you're never right. When a driver comes in, you're like, as a strategist, like, you should have always done the opposite of what you did, basically. Yeah, so, so if we had pitted, it, it, yeah, I can guarantee if we'd pitted under the safety guy, to come back to me and science didn't pit, look where he finished. <laughs> and then so, and then because we didn't and he fell off, it, it's always, always hindsight with them. But yeah, so that was a good one. But yeah, like I said, um, the strategy ones are just generally. Just generally, if you if you get a plan nailed on and everything comes right, because you put yeah, say you put all that work into it, so all over the weekend, all the run up to it, building the days, building everything. It's like sometimes like you can do these kind of. And I had it in twenty twenty when the car wasn't very good, and it's kind of case of we need to do something different. And you're like looking at it going, I mean, this is going to work one time out of a thousand. It's like you might luckily get that a thousand case where everything lines up perfectly, but like you're telling the driver because the driver wants to go, oh, I want to do something different. I don't want to finish, I don't want to finish 16th. I want I want to be in the chance to get at some point. Okay, all right, this way, this will get us points in this one specific situation. If we're running here, the safety car comes out, and this kind of thing. This goes back to the point where I kind of said where you need that bit of car pace as well. If you're going to do something a bit bold. You need a little bit of car performance as well. Otherwise, your strategy is just, yeah, you're a little bit of a sitting duck. 
Mike, the temptation right now to ask you about your view on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last year is killing me, but I'm not going to because we have run out of time. Mike, it's it's been it's been a journey. It's been a pleasure. I, I've learned so much today. I mean, Sam, are you educated? Oh, completely. I I found it fascinating to to hear that level of depth. Uh, the depth, yeah, that goes into the the, the strategy calls is is I've really really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Um, Mike, for our listeners that want to follow your journey, um, you're you're a Twitter man, aren't you? How, how can that? How can they follow you? Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, so um, it's at Mike Caulfield F1. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming along, and um, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah, no, fair enough. Again, thanks for having me. No, it's been a, no, a great pleasure. And yeah, anytime you want, want me back on, if you need a bit of bit of. Um, insight or opinion then uh, give me a shout absolutely and we have so many more questions as well so we'll definitely get you back on Uh, thank you very much Podcast Network.